We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Blethman. You know, Alex, it's been a while since our last episode. Obviously, we're we're in that time of the year between the draft and the start of training camp where there's just not a lot of news going on uh, from a football's perspective. Uh, there's just no workouts, and especially this offseason, uh, you know, Spring football and college football is not around. So in terms of talking about draft-related content, you know, we're not able to see any of the upcoming college uh, prospects going into their next season uh, developing in spring practices at all. And then no traditional OTAs. So the news is quite limited right now. And especially right now in the real world, there's just a lot going on. Just not to talk about from a football perspective, but uh, in terms of, you know, how you've been in the last month or so, you know, how have you been, Alex? Yeah, I've I've been doing good. Uh, I I thought the MLB was going to be the first sport <laughs> back, but it seems like it might be the NBA. But we just need something to, to carry us along until football season. Yeah, I can't imagine a, a situation bungled worse than what the MLB has done uh, to get their season restarted here. It's pretty incredible. Uh, well, I, I guess transitioning now to this episode today of, of Picks for Pace. So we decided to do something a little different here where we reached out to our fellow Bears fans on Twitter and on other social media platforms for some of the questions that they have for us on the Bears roster as well as the draft as a whole and just thinking about this team going forward into 2020. And we also have some speed round stuff to talk about that we'll be discussing later on. But obviously the majority of this episode will be kind of a mailbag t- sort of thing where we're answering your guys' questions. So uh, we're really excited to get into that. So starting off right away, we're going to go right into our questions here. Some of the, some of the feedback we got uh, for our mailbag going out there. Um, and the first question we have here is how do we see – our draft picks of the 2020 NFL draft class contributing for the Bears this season. Um, Alex, you know, the Bears only had seven picks. Two picks in the top 50. Yeah. Two or picks two in picks the in the top 150. So not a lot of high picks that you'd expect to have that instant contributions that you normally expect. But, um, you know, I think looking at it here, there are some guys that are kind of intriguing, I think, going forward when just looking at this season, uh, what are your thoughts on on that sort of thing? 
Yeah, no, I think we got uh, I think we got four contributors this year. I'll I'll kick it off with uh, the first pick, which was Cole Komet at forty three. Um, a lot of people have him plugged in as the the starting wide tight end, and I'm just not exactly sure on that. I'm also a little confused by uh, the Bears coaching staff this week talking uh, pretty highly of Adam Shaheen. I really thought yeah. he was going to be a, a cap casualty, but I guess there's there's still some question marks with the tight end room. So that'll be interesting to see the tight end room fill out. But I think Cole Komet it will be a starter in this offense in two tight end sets. Um, next up, we got Jalen Johnson, the corner out of Utah, who we took at 50 overall. I think he's starting day one. I don't think there's a single game he sits. I think he's extremely talented, and if he can stay healthy, he'll be a legitimate threat to, uh, outside of Kyle Fuller in the secondary. Um, also, uh, Travis Gibson out of Tulsa. I think he's going to uh, – really help spell the the studs we have in uh, Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack. They're going to need some breathers, and Gibson's just a big body in athletics, so I think he's going to come in and contribute right away. Outside of that, I don't think either of the seventh rounders make the roster. I think they're practice squad guys. Uh, D Darnell Mooney, he might later on in the season start getting some tick, but I think he's going to be a uh, dress not play guy for most of the games with Ted Ginn, Riley Ridley, and perhaps even Javon Wims above him. Yeah, it's really interesting what you said on the, on the tight end room there because, you know, Cole Komet being the first pick for the Bears in this draft in the second round, you expect him to get a lot of playing time, but it's weird. We've been talking about this a lot that rookie tight ends usually don't contribute much, at least from a production standpoint. So, uh, in the rookie season. So, I mean, for me, my expectations are kind of low on the production standpoint. I think he'll probably start off early on in the year on the bench a little bit more uh, because they do have Demetrius Harris to fill in at that second tight end role, you know, more that wide tight end, while Jimmy Graham is obviously going to be playing the U. And, you know, they're paying Jimmy Graham a, a lot of money, uh, I think a top five paid tight end right now. So, you know, he's going to be on the field quite a bit in his offense. But I think if Kamek can flash a little bit as a receiver and get a few touchdowns, show some improvement as a blocker, you know, those are the three main things for me uh, as a rookie right now. I think that would be a successful season for him. And I don't really have a lot of high expectations for his playing time, but I think he will be a contributor on the field. Uh, Jalen Johnson, you know, I think you kind of nailed it on the head there that uh, I think he will be a starter, if not week one, early on in the year, kind of similar to what Roquan, uh, what happened with Roquan Smith in his rookie season. If you remember in week one, he was, you know, coming off the bench and Nick Kukowski was starting that game and Roquan eventually worked his way into the starting lineup. It's just weird for me because I think in a normal off season where he had, we'd have OTAs and some of the other off season workouts that you'd normal, normally see, I think I'd be a lot more confident in Jalen Johnson earning a starting spot. But with just the lack of uh, of uh, extended training camp, uh, it's just really tough, I think, for a rookie to come in and, and earn a starting corner spot right away if you're not a first-round talent. Well, Jalen Johnson is a first-round talent, but, uh, you know, picking the second round, obviously, he's going to have to earn it. So, uh, but, yeah, I do expect him to be a starter right away. It's just a matter of when for me. And then look at some of the fifth-round guys. Gibson, I think he's going to be that third rusher who will come in, get a handful of sacks, I think, throughout the year. I think that would be a very successful rookie season for him. Uh, for me, he's more of a projection guy. He's not a guy that's going to come in and light it up, I think, in 2020. But if he can show some flashes of what he's capable of in his rookie year and have a couple big plays, I think that would be something that I'd really look forward to. Uh, one guy you didn't mention, Kendall Vildor, their second fifth-round pick. Um, I do not see him contributing much at all this season just, just because you have Buster Screen starting in the slot there. And, uh, you know, Duke Shelley also is a guy that we like quite a bit, I think, in that backup slot uh, position as well. So I think for Vildor, it's going to be about special teams for him. And maybe if there's injuries in the secondary, he'll be a solid depth guy. But 
to me, that was more of a future minded type of pick in the fifth round there. So to me, he's probably not going to have much of an impact. And uh, the guy I really, I'm really excited about is Darnell Mooney. Uh, he's going to probably have a limited role now with Ted Ginn, obviously being signed. Uh, but I, I expect him to have a few big plays throughout the year with his speed and explosiveness. So he's a guy that while he may not light the world on fire, especially early on, uh, like you said, once the year starts to kind of go on a bit towards the end, he's a guy that, that I think is going to slowly but surely find a role uh, within his offense. And then, of course, uh, with Arlington Hambright and Chavius Simmons, uh, like you said, I mean, if, they're, if they're on the practice squad, I think that's a, that's a win there. Um, seventh round picks, offensive linemen, they're kind of just throwing darts at the dartboard there. So if those guys can be on the practice squad, especially with them kind of extending the practice squad a little bit, expanding that uh, to potentially 16 players on the practice squad, which is uh, fairly interesting uh, going forward into this season. Um, that's kind of my expectation for them. And uh, those guys are obviously purely developmental prospects at this point. Yeah. I'm I, I'm a little intrigued that Mooney was your kind of your pick to click there because uh, I saw earlier this week that they had the Bears starting offense last year. We were the fourth slowest in the mm-hmm. NFL, and uh, guys like Mooney and Ginn were brought in to to try and speed it up. But with that crowded wide receiver room, I'm not I'm not sure that'll happen. But I really do hope that we can find a way to get Mooney on the field, even though he won't be a, a game breaker, like you said, he will just add a different trait that we don't see on the field with some of those other receivers. Yeah. I mean, Matt Nagy, he's running that kind of Andy Reid, Kansas city type of offense. Uh, you need some speed. If you're going to be able, if you're going to be able to make that work uh, to its highest potential. And of course the, the quarterback plays a big part of that as well. The old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. All right, I'll, I'll bring us into the uh, second question from our readers, and it is, uh, how do you think the running game will adjust this year with the new coordinators? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of talk about Juan Castillo and his contributions as the new offensive line coach. Um, I think for me right now is I don't know if there will necessarily be a better unit overall um, in terms of the running game aspect of it, but I think we're going to see a little bit more of a cohesive line uh, next season as a whole. Uh, you know, when you look at over the last two years, it's been Harry Heastan as the offensive line coach and Mark Helfridge kind of acting as the run game coordinators, uh, so to speak, or the, that's at least kind of how Matt Nagy described them as, kind of the guys that would install the running game plans and, and execute that during the game. But to me, it just felt like a theme of different philosophies throughout this time, sort of time period here over the last two years on this coaching staff because – when you look at Mark Helfridge, he's coming from uh, the spread offense in, at Oregon uh, in the college ranks, so a lot of gimmicky type of stuff that didn't really work out over the last couple of years that we kind of saw, just uh, not a big fan of that in terms of a schematic standpoint. And then Harry Heastan, he's more of a traditional power gap scheme type of guy. So you have two different, uh, you know, offensive line blocking backgrounds there in terms of what they want out of the running game. And uh, it just it, it just seemed like a total mess to me over the last two years. And, and that was reflected in the adjusted uh, line yards, which is a, a stat by Football Outsiders. They ranked in the bottom five each of the last two seasons in adjusted line yards. So that, that's something that needs to be fixed a lot for this running game. And with their new guys coming in, Bill Lazor as that offensive coordinator and Juan Castillo as the offensive line coach, you know, both of these guys have experience in the West Coast, Andy Reid, uh, style of offense in that coaching tree and both of these guys are zone blocking type of uh, offensive line coaches so these guys are known to be teaching the same type of blocking scheme so I think there should be fewer communication breakdowns which we saw a lot last season especially and I think their assignments will be a lot more simplified and just a lot easier to kind of 
for some of these guys to process and, and execute. So I don't know if they'll be significantly better in the running game in terms of a, you know, an execution standpoint, but I think from a schematic standpoint and just having it easier a little bit on the players so that they can just go out there and play and not think as much, I think it'll be a lot more of a streamlined uh, sort of thing for this offensive line. Yeah, I mean, it. they really did take uh, sweeping changes because not only did they bring in a new offensive coordinator and an offensive line coach, as you mentioned, but they also brought in John Filippo as the quarterback coach. And, you know, that's those are three very different coaches than what we who we had in those positions before and it'll be interesting because obviously Matt Nagy's still calling the plays and I think that will have a probably the largest effect on the success of the offense is if he's able to kind of switch up his offensive play calling when it when it comes to the run game and that'll be the game changer but the fact that he brought in three very veteran respected coaches to come and solve the run game they they weren't really brought in here to to fix Mitch Trubisky or to mm -hmm. teach Nick Foles the offense they were they came in here not to call the plays but to fix the run game and to fix the offensive line and you know they're brought in there for a reason they're respected guys and you got one job I think it's easier to get it done so I really hope that we have changes coming um, seems like David Montgomery has been getting a lot of hype preseason which would be huge for me because it was frustrating how often it seemed that the Bears one of their few run plays would just be a an unprotected draw to Tariq Cohen for one yard and you know just having a stronger back in the backfield, I, I feel way more comfortable with it. And while Tariq Cohen is a game changer, I don't want too many scripted run plays for Cohen. It's more of the gadget plays and just using him as the extremely talented receiver he is. You don't need to be handing him the ball. You don't see the, the Eagles didn't do that with Darren Sproles. You know, use him as he's good. And he's not good with one-yard draws like three Cohen was used. So hopefully Laser and Castillo are able to, to kind of fix that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you say here about um, these new guys coming in just to fix the run game. That's going to be their primary focus. You know, at the end of the day, I think one of the reasons why a lot of Bears fans are kind of skeptical about this is because, like we kind of mentioned here, it is Matt Nagy's offense and – even over the last two years, that was his hand-picked coaching staff. So a lot of this has to fall on Matt Nagy, I think, in order to kind of right, right the ship, kind of put it that way. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, if they can come in here and just get this to a league average running game in terms of just the blocking aspect so that way David Montgomery has some room to work with, I think that will do wonders for uh, this offense as a whole and, and kind of open up things a little bit and kind of – create a little bit more efficiency um, in short yard situation, which was a big problem for them last year. They did not – obviously, Nagy did not trust his run game to get them some tough yards in some tough spots for them last year. And I, I think it's going to be some of the things that will be key for this, for this team going in forward into training camp. But kind of moving on here, uh, kind of keeping on the topic of the running back position, uh, one of the questions we got here was about David Montgomery, actually – and it was, will David Montgomery be utilized pro properly? And, you know, Alex, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. You kind of talked about David Montgomery a little bit there. Uh, what are your thoughts on how he was used last season? How can that be improved? Yeah, well, first off, I would just like to say that that's a loaded question, listeners. <laughs> will he be used prob properly? Uh, that, that, that question can be read in the eyes of the beholder, but. Yeah, I mean, the guy got less than four yards per attempt in the rushing game, which either he was utilized improperly or he shouldn't be utilized is kind of what I'd say. And watching him in college, I I thought that he was going to be a late first round, early second round draft pick because David Montgomery has every single aspect of a running back that you want outside of speed. He's shifty. He sees the holes. Uh, he doesn't fumble the football. I think he set the 
the record for the Big 12 for most consecutive carries without a fumble. And he's a, he's a great receiver, and he can block. And that's, that's all you can ask for in a receiver. And I, I loved the pick at the time, but last year it seemed like only, I don't know, six games, David Montgomery looked like a legitimate starting running back. And that's scary when if he's not who we need him to be, we know that Tariq Cohen can't be a bell cow. I don't want to be sounding like I'm hammering Tariq Cohen because I think he's a he's a great running back, but he's more of a in the receiving role. He can't be – he's not big enough to be taking hits, running through the gaps and between the guard. You know, you just can't do that. You can't be giving him 20 carries a game. So it'll be interesting to see how these new coordinators put – Montgomery in a better spot I think uh having Mitch as a threat on the ground if Mitch is the starting quarterback I think that would help open up Montgomery's game as well so it'll be interesting he because he needs to be used as a receiver more than he was last year it seemed like he was really only getting one reception a game which that's unfortunate because pretty much the the main reason why he was drafted in that round was his his ability to be an every down back and we seem to take him off the field so you know we really need to have him be a both receiving threat and a rushing threat not like a platoon of oh three cohen's in the game it's a pass oh dave montgomery's in the game it's a run so it'll be interesting to see what they do yeah i like that point you make about him being a a receiving receiving weapon for this offense because that was kind of the thing that I thought he should have been utilized a little bit more of last season. And again, some of this is due to quarterback play. Um, Obviously that was a huge issue for the bears last season uh, with Mitchell Trubisky there. But, you know, when I look at David Montgomery, when it comes to the running game aspect of it, you know, it's hard to really judge him because like I pointed out the, the adjusted line yards and how the bears were just really bad in that aspect in terms of generating, uh, push at the line of scrimmage and generating holes for David Montgomery to run through. It just wasn't there when you watched the tape a little bit in, in some of these games last season. And there were certainly some games where you just didn't get enough carries. I thought, especially when you look at week one against the Packers is kind of the, the biggest indicator of that he, I think he got like, what, like eight carries in that game total. And all those were in six. The half six. Yeah. Like, and most of those were in the first half. So in the second half, they completely went away from him again. That's, Totally on Nagy right there. He has to know how to balance things just a little bit more, uh, especially when his quarterback is struggling like he was in that game. Um, but I think when you look at Montgomery, like you said, you know, one of the reasons why the Bears traded up for him and moved on from Jordan Howard was, was because I think you kind of mentioned there was the fact that in 2018, defenses were, were able to get on the Bears' tendencies when Howard and Cohen were respectively on and off the field. When Howard was on the field, the opposing defenses knew it was going to be a run. When Cohen was on the field, opposing defenses knew it was more than likely going to be a pass. And the reason why they went up to get a guy like David Montgomery was because of his three-down skill set. So now the defenses aren't, you know, kind of getting their hand tipped to them that it's going to be a pass or a run because it could be either with this guy on the field. So we saw some flashes of of Montgomery's receiving skill set last season. I think he had like a crazy one-handed catch against the Raiders in that game in London, which was pretty nice to see. Uh, he got open a few times on some of those running back wheel routes up the seam that Nagy kind of installed in this offense a little bit more last season. So uh, just getting him more involved in the passing game, I think will be something that would do wonders for this offense because he has the ability to do it. It's just a matter of can they get him more involved and active in that part of the game. All right, I'd like to quiz you real quick. Hmm. How many targets or how many receptions do you think Dave Montgomery had last season? I think it was in the low 20s. So I'm gonna yeah, go 25. He had 25 <laughs> receptions. Crazy. That, that's not enough. That's not enough for a guy of his, of his receiving talent. I think Jordan Howard actually had more receptions. In 28, yeah, you, you, I'm not wrong. You don't, you don't trade up for a running back to give him 25 receptions. Right, right. And especially in today's passing league for Nagy's specific offense where it is going to be more of a pass-first type of offense, right, your, your running back needs to be a big factor in the passing game. So 
yeah, that was that's something that needs to be improved upon. He needs to have 35, 40 receptions, you know, somewhere around that type of number, I think. And yeah, that that just that blows my mind right there. <laughs> yeah. It's, so yeah, I, I agree with the listener. I don't think he was utilized correctly, but I I can't completely answer whether or not I think he'll be utilized correctly because personally I want him getting at least three catches a game and that that's a lot to ask but I feel like when you are passing the ball to the running back it really does open up the field a lot more I know a lot of people had not complaints but we're pointing out that Tariq Cohen struggled a lot last year in the reception game just because there were no tight ends that were an actual threat, which allows the mm-hmm. linebackers to really key in on Cohen. And uh, they were probably doing it similarly to David Montgomery. So that does take them out of the equation a little bit, but hopefully the, the line or the tight end play opens up the receptions from the running back. And that's something that we really need in 2020, just to make this offense churn a, a lot smoother than it did last year. All right. Kind of, talking about it earlier but I'm gonna come back over to you with uh, what is your biggest concern with the offensive line in 2020 and what are you most comfortable about it yeah so we kind of touched on this a little bit when talking about the new coordinators coming in for the Bears but for me right now I think the biggest concern has to be the depth is particularly a tackle uh, the tackle depth, I think, is not where I'd like it to be. You know, I think they could get away with an injury here and there in the interior part of the line with White Hair and Daniels and and Ifedi presumably being the starting three. You have some guys guys like Alex Bars there who showed some promise uh, last year, especially in the preseason. So I'm confident that he will be able to step in and and be a solid player if need be. But when you look at their swing tackle situation, one, I'm not the biggest fan of Bobby Massey at right tackle. I think Charles Leno is fine. But, um, yeah, Jason Sprague is, is the current swing tackle right now. And he was a guy that had a lot of talent coming out of college, coming out of Indiana. Really athletic guy, solid length, but kind of lacks that strength you'd like to be able to anchor at the tackle position. And he struggled mightily uh, as a Packer when he was drafted there in the second round. and just never really found his footing. There's a reason why the Packers were willing to let him go in free agency and why he accepted such a small contract with the Bears here. Um, he does have a lot of upside to work with, but he's coming off of an injury, and he just hasn't really shown anything. The, the biggest memory I have of Spriggs as a player is Khalil Mack absolutely destroying him in, in the second game the Bears played against the Packers at Soldier Field in 2018 where Mack had two and a half sacks that game. It was just dominant every single time he matched up against him. So um, overall, I'd say that's the biggest weakness for me. In terms of what I'm most comfortable with, I'd say the left side of the line, uh, when you start at center, whether it's Whitehair or Daniels or vice versa, I think that's a pretty rock-solid interior right there. And then I think, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think Charles Leno just gets way, way too much hate from Bears fans. I feel like he was scapegoated big time for the offensive line struggles last season. And there's a lot of evidence out there, uh, both analytically and when you watch the tape, that really it wasn't Leno that was dragging the offensive line unit as a whole down. You know, Leno was, wasn't as good as he was in 2018. That's definitely uh, the case here. But to me, he's an average, NFL average starting left tackle. And it's, it's really tough to find those guys now in the NFL just because there's not a lot of good ones coming from college. Um, over the last decade or so, it's, it's, it's becoming tougher and tougher to find and identify and develop quality left tackles in the NFL draft. So when you can get a guy like Charles Lennon, who, yeah, he's not a consistent Pro Bowl, All-Pro talent, but he isn't terrible either. Um, he's a guy that just kind of just does his job. He's going to get beat here and there. But to me, he's always been solid. And I, I guess it's the best you could say about that left side. There is some upside with Daniels. I think he can take the next step forward as a player. Whether he's at left guard or center, it doesn't really matter to me. Obviously, white, white hair, he's the best lineman, period, on this team. Uh, just a rock-solid player overall. So I'd say that's where I'm most comfortable with uh, right now. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you when it comes to uh, uh, Leno. I do think he, he got a lot of slack, and I, I think it was more of the right side of the, the offensive line that was causing the issues. But I think both Masso, Massey and Leno are league average tackles for their position. Just the issue is they both weren't good in 2019. More so with Massey, he really fell off from 2018 to 2019, but Leno dropped off too. He was still still a solid tackle, but hopefully both of them are able to kind of return to their 2018 or better selves. And then our offensive line will, will be in a lot better situation so yeah I'd say my biggest concern with this year's offensive line is it just seems like there's a question mark at every single position besides left guard because the tackles they weren't they weren't good in 2019 the centers James Daniels struggled reading the defenses Cody Whitehair couldn't snap the ball Right guard, we don't know who's starting. Hopefully it's Jermaine Afidi or Alex Bars, not Rashad Coward, because Coward was abysmal to watch in 19. But that that's four question marks on five positions. And they all have the talent at each spot for the, the offensive line to actually produce – average or even above average if all the if all the gears are clicking at the same time we could have a good offensive line but I'm not confident that all of them are going to go but you know there is there is a lot of talent there it's just they all have way too many question marks and hoping for rebounds and that's something that's a little scary for me but as I kind of alluded to with my what am I most comfortable with and that's unquestionably left tackle. I think James Daniels is there, which is unfortunate because I was hoping Daniels was uh, going to end up at center, but left guard I think is going to be James Daniels. And I, I think he'll be the best offensive lineman on the bears in 2020. I, I think he is an aggressive run blocker. And if the bears are running the ball more, I think he's going to look better on the field. And he was one of the – I think he was the youngest player on the Bears in 2019. So he's got some uh, more maturity and then also just an extra year with professional uh, strength and conditioning coaches. I, I expect to get a monster out of James Daniels this year. Yeah, I think he was only 20 years old when he was drafted out of Iowa. So really young guy, obviously – needed to get stronger coming into the league. And he's actually, apparently he's added 10 pounds of muscle, uh, according to Juan Castillo, offensive line coach. So adding a little bit more weight, like we've been talking about here, I think that's going to be something that will really help him out because he does struggle a bit uh, handling some of those bigger nose tackles like Kenny Clark and Green Bay at the point of attack. So that'll be something to watch out for. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. One thing that I, I need to get off my chest here, something that kind of is a pet peeve for me when I, when I look at Bears Twitter and uh, some of the comment boards across the web, so to speak, is this idea that it was a bad plan from the get-go to put James Daniels at center to start last season um, because they should just because of how it turned out with him um, switching back to left guard. You know, it was always the plan, I felt like, for James Daniels, whether it be this season or last season, to take over as the full-time center for the Bears because anyone that watched Cody Whitehair, like you've been harping on this a lot here over the past couple episodes or so, Cody Whitehair has had a bunch of troubles snapping the ball. It's the simplest thing for a center to do, and Cody Whitehair is not very good at it, just snapping the ball. And that was the reason why the Bears drafted Jan Daniels. He's, he was a natural center at, at Iowa. And from a physical standpoint, he's a, still a natural center in the NFL. But the main thing for center right now in this offense, especially with if Trubisky's in the lineup where he struggles to identify defenses and, and help set protections, is you need to be a very good communicator at that center position. And you need to be able to set protections very well and Daniels just couldn't do that last season. So I don't know if that's just an age thing or something that he just needs to mature and grow into, but 
Um, whether he's at center or left guard, I, I feel pretty confident that they'll be able to figure that out with Juan Castillo coming in as a veteran offensive line coach. Uh, it'll just be something that is going to be worth monitoring throughout training camp. Yeah, that's that's definitely something we need to look at. And I I do think white hairs, snaps is something – that we need to discuss it it bothers me as well that people kind of sweep those issues under the rug which that's that's fine because I mean he's a he's a good center right but also I, I do think he is significantly better run blocking when he's at guard than when he's at center so that that's another thing that concerns me but you know what we have we have two good guys who are young and interchangeable at left guard and center so I I should just be happy that we're even have two guys that are capable of starting above average at both positions so I'll just maybe I'll just sit down and shut up for a little bit (laughs) (laughs) I I couldn't say any better myself I I guess uh so we're gonna take uh, a break coming up here when we come back we're gonna be talking about a little bit more questions that you guys had but before we get into that we're gonna take uh, a break right now and we're back here at Picks for Pace going over some of the questions that you guys had for us, some things that we could answer about the NFL draft and for the Bears as a whole. And we're just going to continue on. We talked a lot about the offensive side of the ball, uh, you know, with some of the questions that you guys had. And now we're going to kind of focus on some of the more defensive-minded uh, questions here, starting off with the cornerback position. We kind of talked about it a little bit, talking about Jalen Johnson and what his contributions will be as a rookie. But – with Prince, the question coming in here is, with Prince of Mucamara gone, leading to Oakland now as he was cut this offseason, uh, how do you see the position battle for that second cornerback spot on the boundary playing out? And Alex, I'll, I'll start with you on that. Yeah, assuming we get a preseason, I think that uh, Kevin Tolliver is going to get the starting nod in the preseason. He's going to get the first team reps at camp because I think it is kind of Kevin Tolliver's spot to lose. But, and I am, I am a Tolliver believer. I actually was heavily pushing for the bears to draft him. We ended up getting him as an undrafted free agent. So I was pleased there, but I, I think he's a good corner, but I think Jalen Johnson is a legitimate first round talent as you touched on earlier. So I think at least by week two, Jalen Johnson's our starter, and I hope he's our week one starter. What about yourself? Yeah, I, I view it the same way, actually. You know, I think Tolliver, he's going to be the, the incumbent starter to start training camp when that kicks off. You know, whenever that is, we still don't know at this point. And, you know, it's going to be tough because, like we mentioned before, with a shorter offseason period – you know, there's not going to be a lot of time for Jalen Johnson to have a lot of reps there working out as the number one corner in this defense before the regular season finally comes along. You know, I expect them to give Artie Burns and Troy Roberson a chance as well. They're going to be in the mix, although I think that's mostly going to be for a practice squad position or that backup boundary corner position. Um, I do not expect them to earn starting positions whatsoever uh, in 2020. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I, I think Jalen Johnson, he's the guy. They drafted him in the second round for a reason. And to me, he just has too much talent to where you don't want him on the field. You want him on the field getting experience. And he's going to be helped out a lot because when you look at rookie cornerbacks, they're obviously going to have their ups and downs. But he's going into a great situ- situation here because the Bears, they have a great pass rush coming up here with Mack and Robert Quinn on the edges, Akeem Hicks coming back healthy. So, you know, quarterbacks, they're going to have to get the ball out quick, which is going to benefit Jalen Johnson, who does struggle a little bit containing some of the faster wide receivers deep down the field. He's going to be able to play a little bit more aggressive at the line of scrimmage. He's going to be able to play um, the ball a lot more, being aggressive, going for interceptions, which is going to be nice. And he has a guy like Eddie Jackson as that free safety, and even Tayshawn Gibson to a degree behind him to help him out uh, when he does get beat and cover up for some of his rookie mistakes. So I expect Jalen Johnson to get on the field really quickly. And like you said, he may not start week one, but by week two or week three, uh, he should be the guy going forward. So, yeah, you touched on uh, Tayshawn Gibson, and I'm going to ask you, uh, 
a reader said, will Eddie Jackson be complimented better this year next to Tayshawn Gibson in comparison to HaHa ha Clinton Dix? Yeah. So first of all, I'm going to say it simply uh, yes, because although I still expect Chuck Pagano to kind of mix and match his safeties a little bit more, kind of like what he did last season, um, Gibson, while he's more of that free safety type of guy, he played strong safety primarily last season with the Houston Texans as a starter over there. And he showed that he is actually capable of handling box duties and certainly handling those box duties a lot better than Clinton Dix has throughout his career. That's one of the big criticisms with Haha ha Clinton Dix is his tackling and being able to be physical in the box against the run and against tight ends in the box as well. And we look at the way that Gibson was used in, in uh, Houston last season they used him a lot to man up against tight ends in one-on-one man coverage. And he did very well in that aspect of the game last season. He obviously got beat uh, by some of the better tight ends. Like, you know, they went up against Travis Kelsey in Kansas city. He got beat a little bit in that game, but I mean, Travis Kelsey is the second or, or maybe even the first best tight end in the NFL right now. So there's really nothing much uh, you can say about tip your hat to him there. Um, but when you look at, Gibson, what he can provide, he's a guy that's capable of playing that deep safety like an Eddie Jackson where he's used best, but he has the versatility to be in the box and cover tight ends, cover running backs out of the backfield, even cover wide receivers in the slot at some point. And that should really benefit Jackson a lot to free him up so that he's playing more of that center field type of safety to where he can jump routes, he can read the quarterback's eyes, and he can cover up the mistakes of some of the other cornerbacks on the boundary there. So I'm very excited to see how this works out because, in my opinion, Gibson's actually an upgrade over HaHa Clinton Dix as an all-around safety, and he's a much more versatile chess piece that I think Chuck McGowan's going to really like to have for his defense there next to Eddie Jackson. So if anything, even though they actually got Tayshawn Gibson at a lower price than they did HaHa Clinton Dix last season – I think they might have actually gotten significantly better um, as a whole in that safety room. Because when you look at some of the other guys they have that they brought in, like Jordan Lucas, bringing back Deion Bush to be that backup there, uh, the safety room is a very strong position for this Bears team right now. And I'm excited to see how that helps out Eddie Jackson and whether he's going to have a big year next season. Yeah, I, I was pumped with that signing. And while I don't agree with you that Gibson is better than HaHa ha Clinton Dix. I do think he is a much better fit than HaHa ha Clinton Dix. Um, as you said, uh, Pagano, he likes those hybrid uh, safeties, and I, he does have that again because Tayshawn Gibson is more of a, a free safety, but he's way more of a strong safety than HaHa ha Clinton Dix was. So that that is helpful to the Bears. And he did play a little bit of uh, strong safety last season, actually. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if we're still going to go too deep and kind of use him interchangeably, or if we're going to line up Gibson more in the box. But either way, we we have someone who's a, a talented ball hawk, and then also is is comfortable putting his nose down and getting some tackles. So I, I'm very happy with the Gibson signing and. I hope that they use Eddie Jackson a little deeper this season, but also it might just be Pagano's defense. It'll really be a a good way to tell seeing what the Bears come out this year. But what has been really confusing to me is the the media and the the coaching staff during these press press conferences, excuse me, um, they keep saying that it's a competition for that starting strong safety role, which – I thought it was going to be guaranteed for Gibson, especially considering he signed for the minimum. Uh, similar with Ted Ginn, I just assume that they're getting the nod of significant playing time. Yeah, that, that confused me as well. And I mean, the argument goes both ways. If you're going to say, you know, let's follow the money here. He's making, like you said, bet minimum in the situation. So maybe they brought him in to compete. But part of me also think that Things that they that might just be coach speak at this point in the off season. They don't want to give up, give away their hand too early, I guess. Um, and maybe they just want to kind of foster this environment to where 
you know, you're bringing in Nick Foles at that quarterback position to be kind of give you some competition there. So if you're having competition at the most important position, which is quarterback, and it's been said many times here that the locker room does like Mick Trubisky quite a bit. So if you're bringing in competition at the quarterback position, I guess it kind of makes sense then to foster this competitive environment at other positions where you don't have a completely locked down, I guess. So that's the only way I can kind of justify those statements, I guess, if that makes sense. But uh, yeah, if it were me, I mean, I think Gibson's a much better player than Deion Bush. I mean, it's been rumored many times before that Chuck Pagano is a huge Deion Bush fan, even though he was really more used at that dime uh, third safety last season. So yeah, I don't know how it's going to work out, but if I were a betting man, I would say Gibson is going to be the starter by week one, if not earlier than that. Yeah, I, I hope they just name him the starter before uh, before uh, preseason begins. But, you know, you know, we'll wait and see. And if someone comes out guns blazing at camp, I guess they can go ahead and earn it. I just don't see a situation where any of the other DBs are talented enough to win that job from him. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Uh, last question we have here coming in now, kind of moving on, um, is about the defense and it's about – if they do stay healthy in 2020, where do we see them ranked for this upcoming season when you compare them to the rest of the NFL? Uh, Alex, what are your thoughts on that? All right. Um, I'm going to say 10th of all time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I, I think the absolute ceiling of this defense is number one. I think they – while they aren't maybe the favorite to be the best defense in the NFL, I, I, I think that they'd be smart money to bet on because this is an extremely talented defense. And while there isn't a lot of depth uh, at edge rusher, so an injury there would kill us. But otherwise, I think this is an absolutely outstanding and pretty deep team. We have a lot of star power spread out, and we also have competition at multiple positions. So that makes me feel extremely strong. If everyone's healthy, I think the floor of this defense is fifth. I think even with some injuries, we're still a top 10 defense. But, yeah, I'd say one through five is the range, and if they're healthy, I see them at one. Yeah, that's where I have it, too. I, I think they're going to be a lock for a top three defense this season if they're healthy with five being the absolute floor. Like, worst-case scenario, if they're healthy, fifth is where they'd rank. And I wouldn't necessarily think that's because the Bears are underperforming on defense. I think that's just because there are still a lot of other talented defenses in the NFL as well. You know, looking at some of the best from last season, the 49ers, I think they still have a top-notch unit overall with all the studs they have in their front seven, especially in their pass rush. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, they reloaded their defense quite a bit. They got better at some positions here and there, I felt like, in the offseason. And uh, Sean McDermott is just a fantastic defensive coordinator, even though he's the head coach there. Um, and Leslie Frazier, too, he's working on that defensive staff as well. So uh, just a really solid defense over there in Buffalo. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers last season, uh, they had a really good defense. They were kind of like the Bears in many ways, where they had this dominant defense. Um, but their quarterback play and offense in general was just atrocious throughout the entire season. Their defense really saved them and made that team uh, be as good as it was, which was a mediocre team overall. But I think all three of those teams are going to be right up there with the Bears as well in terms of the overall rankings. I think you can't rule out the Patriots, even though you know they've lost some talent this offseason, and we still don't know how their quarterback situation is going to work out, which kind of affects defense a little bit as well because – you know, you need a good offense, I think, to complement your defense at some point. Um, but the Patriots, you can't roll Bill Belichick at all, I think, in these sort of things. He's always has a top 10 defense every single season, no matter what goes on there, it seems like. So, but we look at just how these teams look on paper. The Bears, I think, by a pretty significant margin, have the most talented starting defense, I think, in the NFL. So I expect them to be the number one unit in football if everything is clicking and they're healthy like I expected to. Um, 
They have three really dominant pass rushers in Mack, Hicks in the middle, and then obviously Robert Quinn on the other side of the defense. Those three are going to be really fun to watch, I think, this year. I think they have a nice complement of complementary rushers. When you look at Roy Robertson-Harris and Bilal Nichols in the interior, I'm really excited to see Nichols' development, especially because he had that broken hand last season that kind of hurt his progression a little bit, I felt like. So hopefully if he's healthy, he can kind of bounce back a little bit because he was a really nice playmaker as a rookie. So I'm excited there. I think they're really solid in the linebacking core with Smith and Trevathan. And then I really like what they did, reloading the secondary just a little bit, especially at cornerback. They're a lot younger there, a lot of competition there, like you said. And Eddie Jackson's one of the best safeties in the league. It boggles my mind how he gets so little respect, it seems like, around the NFL Twitter community as of right now after kind of a down year where you could argue going into last season, he was right up there as one of the two or three best safeties in football. And I I think he's still up there uh, to a degree. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. Uh, One name I'd like to add uh, that might be also the the most talented on paper is is the Ravens. The Ravens, they added Clias Campbell, brought back Judon, Patrick Queen was added, Marcus Peters, Earl Thomas. They have a lot of big brand names out there. I think they're going to be an excellent defense as well. But I I just – if people are healthy, I – I just don't see us not being a top five defense and we have all the talent in the world. And I would just love to, to have them go out there and get it. And another thing is just a better offense will help the defense a ton, keep them off the field, let them get some rest because a lot of times it just seemed like our defense was absolutely burnt out and we're on the field too much because we couldn't move the damn ball. And I hope we can change that in this year because It'll help the win column. It'll help the defense. It'll make everyone happier. Yeah, and playing with the lead is also going to be something that I think will be key as well because in 2018, you know, the Bears' offense wasn't great necessarily. They were a league average type of unit in that season. But one thing they did very well was score early on in the first quarter in their first initial drives. So that way they can get out to a little bit of a cushion early on and allow that defense to really start attacking opposing offenses and offenses couldn't just play conservatively knowing that uh, they can hold the lead as long as possible, just running the ball and throwing a couple dinky dink and dunk type of throws throughout the game. Uh, they really need to be aggressive going down the field to try and score on the Bears defense. And the Bears defense was able to capitalize on that, on that with more turnovers, more sacks, and uh, things of that nature. So I think kind of goes to the same thing there. Like you mentioned, the offense is going to be key and whether this defense will be uh, back to their 2018 form or not. But I think on paper right now, if this team isn't better than this 2018 unit on paper, I think they are just as good in terms of the on-paper talent. It's just a matter of whether they can put it all together on the field and just get the job done. Uh, so before we wrap up here, we're going to take our last break of the show. Uh, we have some other topics we want to go through quickly here to end things. So Uh, We're going to take our final break and then be back shortly. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. So to conclude this episode here, we're going to have sort of this lightning round of sorts for uh, some of the other topics that we have about this Bears roster going into 2020. And the main thing we're going to be talking about here is who will have the biggest impact um, amongst some of these position groups and uh, players overall. Uh, who we think will have the biggest impact for the Bears in 2020. So, Alex, I'm going to start with you. We're going to start the linebacker position. Who's going to have the bigger impact on this team next season? Is it Danny Trevathan or Roquan Smith? I'm going Roquan Smith. He's coming back healthy and with a vengeance. I agree. Uh, Roquan, he was expected to have a breakout season last year. Didn't really go his way, but, you know, I think he has a chip on his shoulder. He showed some things later in the year. I think he's going to be the star linebacker that the Bears drafted in 2018 and uh, be quite the playmaker for this defense. Yeah, I think he makes a Pro Bowl. All right, we'll go uh, Kyle Fuller versus Robert Quinn. I'm going to go with Robert Quinn. I think Fuller is the better player, but I think Quinn's presence as a pass rusher alone is going to be it's going to be so much for this pass rush, uh, specifically when it comes to taking some pressure off of Khalil Mack and freeing him up a bit. 
Uh, I think Mac's going to have a big year, and a lot of that's going to be because of Robert Quinn. Yeah, I think Kyle Fuller's going to – I agree with uh, Robert Quinn, but I think Kyle Fuller's going to have a, a big year, especially in interceptions, because he baits quarterbacks in the throwing and tries to jump the routes. And when you have Quinn and Mac flying at you, you got less chance – to look and read the situation. I think they're going to force throws at Fuller, and that's not a good idea. <laughs> nope, certainly not. Uh, next one we got here is we're going to go to our rookie class, and that's Cole Komet versus Jalen Johnson. Who's going to have the bigger impact there? Jalen Johnson, landslide. Agreed. There's really nothing much that I can add to that. Uh, next one is going to be at the offensive line. Uh, Jermaine Effetti versus some of the other reserves on this roster namely Alex Bars, Rashad Cower, and, and the two guys they drafted in Han Bright and Simmons. Yeah, I, I'm going to go Alex Bars here. I like, I, I like the reserves. Uh, I think there's too many question marks, and obviously injuries will occur. I think, I think two reserves will see the field this year, so I'm going with them. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I'm going to go with Ifedi here. I, I don't think he's anything special, don't get me wrong, but – I think he's a lot better than people are giving him credit for because he did develop, you know, quite a bit of a negative reputation as a tackle in Seattle. So I think with his move to officially being a, a full-time guard here, you know, I expect him early on to establish himself as a starter at that right guard position. And I think he's going to maintain that spot the whole year, assuming that he stays healthy. Although I will say that Alex Bars does have a nice chance because of his flexibility to be a guard or a tackle because they, they worked on a tackle quite a bit. Uh, last season he looked comfortable there so if he can kind of have that versatility that could also give him uh, quite a bit of an impact on this roster as well yeah I agree with uh, Afidi's been getting way too much flack I mean he's been in the league for four years and he started 60 games the the Seahawks haven't had a great offensive line but he's starting every game he's not getting benched he's not as bad as Seahawks Twitter makes him seem all right, we're going to go uh, wide receivers, Ted Ginn or Riley Ridley. This is tough because I like Riley Ridley a lot. I think he's going to have a big year going into his second season, but I'm going to have to go with Ted Ginn here because while I think Riley will prove himself to be the better all-around wide receiver as the year goes on, um, Ginn, he brings in elements of speed that we've been talking about quite a bit. Um, over this episode and some of the other previous podcasts that, you know, it, it makes his path onto the field a lot easier. And I think he's going to have a little bit more impact as that guy that stretches the field and opens up some things underneath for Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, and, and Riley Ridley as well. So Riley Ridley, he may get more receptions maybe than Ted again, but I think Ted again is going to have some big plays here and kind of open things up for the rest of this offense. Yeah, I'll retweet that, and uh, I'll finish up with, in 2018, Trey Burton on the Bears, he had 54 catches for 569 yards and six touchdowns. Do you think Jimmy Graham, in his first season with the Bears, is going to be better than 2018 Burton? Hmm. So this is heavily dependent on the play of the quarterback position. I think if you're getting Trubisky as a starter for the majority of the year, I don't think that happens. But if it's Foles, on the other hand, I think Graham's production will actually be a little bit more than Trey Burton was in 2018. And it mostly has to do with the fact that not necessarily that Graham's going to be better um, as a player than Burton was that season, but because of Foles' tendency to target the tight end a lot in this scheme and in this offense – uh, that's something he did quite a bit in Philadelphia. So um, if, if Foles is the primary starter for the majority of the season, I'm going with Jimmy Graham in 2020. Okay. I'm going with uh, 2018 Burton because I felt like uh, Mitch in 2018, he used Trey as a bit of a, a crutch, especially on, uh, on third downs. It felt like he was always looking for Trey Burton. So I'm, I'm going to – go with Jimmy Graham's a little underwhelming here which which can totally happen as well um you know they upgraded that entire tight end but maybe it'll spread around a little bit we'll see uh last one here though it's it's gonna be probably the most talked about thing I think throughout training camp and throughout the season as a whole for this Bears team and that's 
at the quarterback position. So uh, we're going to go with Mitch Trubisky here. Over or under, how many games will Mitch start this year? We're going to put the over under mark at four. I know you're going to do the opposite, but I'm taking the over at four. Really? Okay. Well, I'm going to do the under. Um, I, I, I'm inter- interesting. What, what makes you think that? I think uh, especially I don't see a, a full-on offseason. I think Mitch Trubisky is going to get the week one nod because I think if it's close, they're, they're going to give it to Mitch. And week one, he plays the Lions. Mitch owns the Lions. And honestly, our first four games of the regular season are, are pretty easy. So I see if he gets a, if he gets a chance, I, I think he could run with it until we get into the more difficult games and when we're playing uh, Tampa Bay, the Saints. And then I think then is when people might be calling for his head. But early on in the season, if there's not a full training camp, I don't see Mitch uh, not starting week one. Okay, okay. I can see that happening because the uh, early part of, of the Bears schedule is a little bit friendlier, I think, for the offense. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I'm going to go with the under because it actually wouldn't surprise me if Nick Foles is the starter in week one. I know, I know Mitch Trubisky has had a lot of work with some of the other receivers on the Bears during this offseason, um, during these private workouts that he's kind of organized. But, you know, I think Foles is the better player right now. I think he, even with Mitch Trubisky having maybe a little bit more chemistry with his receivers, I think Foles knows his offense better. I think he opens up the playbook for Matt Nagy a little bit more. And, you know, the big worry with me with Foles is that he has issues staying healthy. So I expect Trubisky, even if Foles is, just, is the starter in week one, I expect Trubisky to play at some point this season because Foles has never proven that he can play a full 16-game schedule. But um, I'm going to take the under here just because I think the Bears, I think they brought in Foles with the purpose of him taking over the quarterback position and kind of being that bridge quarterback until they can draft somebody else. And I, I just think this entire coaching staff, they've all worked with Foles before. They trust him. Uh, they have experience with him. So I'm going to go with Foles, getting that week one nod, and Mitch starting less than four games. Yeah, and I, I, I would love to know what Vegas's odds are because I just kind of arbitrarily threw that out there at four and it might even the over under might actually just be two games or what Vegas would set, but I'm not sure if he gets a chance to start. I don't think he loses it during some of those. Those are some pretty bad defenses at the beginning of the season. So it's pretty much if he starts at the start or not, if, if he's going to win those battles. Well, we know, we know Foles has uh, gone on that magic carpet ride before, especially in Philadelphia. But um, if he gets hot, you know, he can play just as good as any starting level quarterback in the league, I think, other than some of the more elite guys. But when, when Foles is on, man, he has proven to be a pretty solid guy. It's just a matter of, you know, you got to deal with some of the lows and the mediocrity when he's not uh, on fire, so to speak. That's kind of the biggest issue with him. Yeah, and he's, well, he does have ups and downs. It's nowhere near the ups and downs of Mitch Trubisky because. Lord, we know that's a roller coaster ride. And last year it was more of the, the giant drop at Six Flags than a traditional <laughs> roller coaster ride. <laughs> and that's definitely a ride that me personally, I do not want to be on, both figuratively and literally. <laughs> um, so, uh, with that, we're going to conclude uh, this episode of Picks for Pace. Uh, it was a really fun episode getting to hear some of your questions and uh, what you guys are thinking about going into this season. Uh, thank you guys, Bears fans and draft enthusiasts alike for tuning in. Uh, as we continue throughout this summer of kind of talking about some of the drafts coming up here, uh, we look forward to providing more of that content towards the NFL draft and going a little bit away from the Bears as a whole uh, as we preview some of the top prospects in the college football season heading into 2020, 2021 uh, and the college football season there. If there is a season, you know, there's a lot up in the air right now with COVID-19, and um, obviously that's just something worth monitoring. But we're going to be previewing some of the top players in the country coming up soon, and uh, it's going to be really fun to kind of talk about these guys. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Picks for Pace, and I'll go to you now. On, uh, where can they follow you on Twitter? 
Yep, and it's A Blethen, B-L-E-T-H-E-N, 33. And yeah, if you guys have any questions that we didn't answer or just pop in your head, feel free to tweet at us and we'll sneak it in the next podcast. Where, they, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow me at AJ Freeman 25. Uh, that's a capital A, lowercase j, capital F. Uh, once again, thank you guys for listening for this, to this episode. Uh, really fun. And uh, we hope that you guys have more stuff like this in the future to where we can do more of these mailbag type of stuff uh, going forward. Thanks, guys. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.